I'm Corey Stroman. Welcome to the Rochester Rising podcast, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs in Rochester, Minnesota. Thank you for spending some time with us today to learn more about small business and the culture of entrepreneurship in Rochester. We hope that you learned something today from a local entrepreneur that can help you with your own journey. Rochester Rising is a part of Collider, a Rochester-based nonprofit that activates, connects, and empowers early-stage entrepreneurs in our community. You can learn more about Collider and how our organization can help accelerate and assist your journey at collider.mn. Today on the podcast, we have a guest who is near and dear to my heart as we chat with my husband, Nick Novotny, founder of the Rochester Thaw Music Festival, along with Dustin Hart. Both Nick and Dustin are co-owners of My Town, My Music. Let's get started. Nick, Dustin, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Thank you for having us. Hello, hello. Wonderful. Well, to get started, you guys can kind of take turns, but tell me a little bit about your backgrounds in both work and education. Um, so I uh, went to school at St. Mary's and I got a music business and technology degree, and then I worked in IT for a while and then uh, stopped doing that and then ended up, uh, now, I, now I make beer for a living and then also do music stuff. Very nice. Dustin? Yeah, I went to school up in Alexandria, Minnesota for graphic design and um, ended up uh, coming down to Rochester when my wife took a job at Mail and um, started working for Corporate Web Services here in town and am now the art director there. Uh, jumped in with the music scene about five years ago and still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> Very cool. Um well, Dustin, you mentioned what brought you to Rochester, which was your wife's job. Nick, what initially brought you here? And then what mutually would you say keeps you around? Um, I, I came up here for a job at the clinic like everybody else um, that lasted all of a year and three months. And that's when I left the clinic and, and, and started working at Little Thistle. Um, so, and, and what's kind of kept me around is the, the people that are here and Work at the brewery is good, and, and the fun stuff you get to do with music here. So, Sweet. How about you, Dustin? What would you say keeps you in Rochester? Um, well, like I said, when my wife and I and our partner Johnny started My Tell My Music a while back, that was kind of our way of reaching out and branching out and meeting new people and uh, making new friends. And I'd say that's the biggest thing that's going to keep me here is we found this community that's really supportive, and, and I really enjoy being a part of that. Yeah. Uh, Dustin, I'll stick with you for the moment. Um, what would you say kind of initially sparked your interest in music, and at what point did you kind of want to work in it in a in a way? And I, I guess music-wise, I think it was when I was in third or fourth grade. I signed up for like a Columbia subscription-based thing where you started getting the tapes and CDs yeah. in the mail, and just going through the catalogs and getting to pick out you know, two, three items every month. That was like the highlight of my month and waiting to get those and listen to them front to back. And it was just exciting to get to learn all this new music. Now, obviously that's changed a lot with streaming and stuff like that. You can kind of pick and choose what you listen to. Um, but back then that really cemented my um, love of music. And then as far as getting into it, I mean, growing up, I grew up in a very small town up on the Canadian border. Um, and so we didn't have like a music venue or a music scene or anything like that. Sure. You know, it was maybe a street dance once a year that you'd go mm. to and catch a live band playing covers. 
Um, but when I came to Rochester, that was something I was really excited about. I was thinking, you know, there was all these shows that were going to be happening in town, and I didn't actually see a lot of them, but it seemed like it was on the tail end of when some of those were happening at, like, Whiskey Bones or Wicked Moose and stuff like that. Sure. So um, so enjoyed going to those, and, and that kind of um, sparked my interest in thinking I could maybe do something like that and put on my own shows, um, and that kind of timed out right as Whiskey Bones and Wicked Moose and some of those places started going out of business. So. Sure, sure. Well, yeah. Nick, obviously you had an early interest in music since you decided to go to college for it. What would you say kind of initially sparked your interest in it and then pushed you to create a festival? Um, yeah, it was it was always something that like growing up was, was something that we could do. Like I, I started playing violin in second grade and then started playing saxophone after that, and somewhere in the middle picked up drums along the way. Um, and then in high school was like in a band, did that whole thing, um, and then started playing shows from that, and that kind of started putting my head in a place of like, do I want to try and work in music and go that route? And so when it came to going to college, that's where um, I was looking at programs for like recording studio tech and live sound kind of stuff and landed at St. Mary's where my program was like a mix of technology and business. So that was kind of um, the the kind of committing into that. Mm-hmm. And then from there, <clears throat> um, while at St. Mary's, I worked um, on campus with kind of doing live sound and events and then worked for Midwest Music Fest as a part of their education committee for a couple of years um, and started kind of seeing, um, and this is kind of when Midwest was full steam ahead at that point, um, and so they were pretty well established. And so seeing an event like that um, kind of got the gears turning in my head. And then when I moved here, um, there was um some small there were some festivals there was like hambone music festival there was like foster fest the jazz fest was a thing um but there wasn't kind of the i the same kind of setup that like midwest had with like a multi-venue thing so when i had moved here i had looked into like an outdoor event out at like oxbow initially and it was like so this is like getting to 2019 where the first one happened this was like a whole mess of years of like kicking things around and trying to figure out, can this happen here? Mm-hmm. It just took a while to figure it out and make it make sense. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <clears throat> um, Dustin, can you tell us a little bit about the history of my town, what year it started and kind of its journey up until the last couple of years? Yeah. Um, so my town, my music, we launched, July 13th, 2017, with a little launch party with Mike Munson at the Jive Mill. And, um, Love it. Yeah, and that was, that was a fun, that was our first sellout, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, like 50 of our friends basically coming out to support us and, and being there for that. And, um, and yeah, the idea behind it was, um, you know, obviously just to get to see more live music selfishly. We thought we could kind of bring that here and then enjoy mm-hmm. it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... My wife and I and then Johnny Yukis, we started talking and brainstorming, and we basically did about a year's worth of research before that launch party, going around talking to anybody that would tell us anything about how music events worked in town. And um, 
it took a lot of research and time, and then we kind of settled on this idea of building a website where the community could feel like they're a part of it by uh, answering survey questions and stuff on who they wanted to see, or even becoming a member um, where they get discounts on tickets and things like that sure. in exchange for a monthly membership fee, which then we just turn around and take that money and we'd put it right into the show. So it would mm -hmm. help us bankroll some of the things like artist deposits and um, production deposits and things like that, that we started realizing really quickly were expensive. So, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. so the, yeah, that was kind of our idea on trying to get the entire community involved. And, um, we always like that model, like the current has, sure. you know, that membership be a, be a part of something kind of makes you feel like you're helping to support and grow that. And, um, and we thought that was a sustainable approach to, um, putting on concerts in town. Um, and it really, it really took off in the first couple of years, um, before COVID, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, before that we had a nice run of sellouts. People were coming to the shows. We were kind of finding our niche in that like mid-level, you know, not necessarily Mayo Civic Center size, but also, you know, still in the three, 400 range. Sure. So, um, we're kind of finding our sweet spot there and, and then we had a really good summer lined up and then COVID hit. And so then we had to <laughs> kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit and we were kind of looking around and thinking about what we were going to do and how we wanted to approach this all when we came out of it. And um, we started realizing that, you know, life situations had started to change. We mm -hmm. both, Johnny and his family, they have kids, and my wife Becky and I, we have a kid. So um, we were realizing time is becoming a little harder to find. And, and so we were like, okay, we need to find somebody to help us with this. And, and we had worked with Nick on the Thaw Festival before, just on a much smaller scale, just right, things right. like tickets and, and stuff like that. But... Um, but we knew how organized and how driven he was, and so we reached out to him about becoming a part of My Town, My Music, and um, and we kind of realized that we have similar visions, and um, our skill sets definitely balance each other out a little bit, and so it was uh, kind of a natural fit, and being able to help him out with thought is something that we really enjoy, and then him becoming a part owner of My Town, and... Um, helping us with booking and, and event planning and stuff mm -hmm. like that has been huge. So it's been a nice, nice marriage of convenience there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before you back away from the mic, um, <laughs> can I ask you kind of what were some of the major challenges that you guys faced while initially getting my town started and correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but it is a side hustle for everybody involved. Yes, yes, okay. For sure. Yeah. 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 Both Johnny and I work at CWS and Becky's at Mayo, so this is a nights and weekends thing for us. Um, and yeah, like uh, when it first started out, probably our biggest hurdle was the lack of venues. Mm. Um, there just really wasn't any venues anymore. Um, there was a few bars that had some setups, but most of them weren't going to be willing to shut down and let us sell tickets for an event and kick out all their regulars. So that was a huge hurdle. We had to just find spaces we could use. We did things like um, use the green open area in um by the fairgrounds sure um otherwise we'd even rent out the art center and then throw out a stage in there and we'd find places to make it work but it was always difficult because when you start doing that and you're hiring in all the production you're you know bringing in a stage light sound everything your mm -hmm. costs basically double and so not having that venue there that could supply the stage lights and sound and you're just doing the booking and the marketing and sure. the event management side of it. Um, it can be a lot of work. Um, so when we started seeing some places like that start to open, we immediately jumped on and started trying to work with them as quickly sure. as we could. Yeah, absolutely. 
Nick, how would you say that throwing the thaw has changed since joining the My Town team? Uh, the event is significantly bigger than uh, it was the first the first year and then what was supposed to be the second year. Um, the first year in 2019 happened with one stage and seven bands. Um, and then year two was teed up to be two stages um, with 15 bands. <clears throat> and now um, after coming out of the pandemic, we had talked about um, how to I had had like a ladder of sorts of like, okay, we'll just kind of start at the one band seven or one stage seven bands set up. And then if that works, we'll slowly step it up and step it up. And then with the eventual goal of getting to this multi-venue setup, the kicker part was when the pandemic happened, um, it had shut down our second year eight days before it happened, um, mm. which was not ideal. Um, and so we <laughs> took a few years off. Um, of, of doing the festival. And that's, that's when I became part of my town in the mix of that. And we had met and talked about what to do with the festival and how to have it grow and still kind of keep getting some of that momentum that is existing in the music scene now. And, and thought it was, thought it was a good move to make the jump and skip a few rungs on the ladder and go, (laughs) go head first into, what the setup is for 2023. So, um, yeah, that, that having kind of a dedicated team of people that are helping with that has made that growth so much easier. Cause this year we essentially rebuilt everything from the ground up. Cause when I was doing it before, um, we didn't have a website. We were kind of just flying through social media and, mm-hmm. um, my town had set up the tickets via the threshold website Sure. And so for this now, um, it's a whole new section of the My Town website that had to get built. Um, a lot of work in terms of just um, kind of setting a huge infrastructure for an event of this scale that I just didn't have before or didn't have the ability to actually like do because sure. there's like web design stuff. I have no idea what I'm doing and like graphic design stuff, no idea what I'm doing. I can do other things, but there's part of it that needed to essentially get built. And that um, has made this year so much more kind of it's, it's made a lot more a lot different in that sense is there's a lot more infrastructure behind it. And there's more people that are kind of like focusing on the different aspects of this instead of like one, two, three people trying to like kind of figure it all out as it mm-hmm. happens. There's a whole crew with experience putting on shows that are now all kind of pushing this boat of a festival forward at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Going kind of back to the pandemic and how it affected the thaw, did the pandemic personally affect the way that you think about events and how you go about throwing them now? Um, I think a little bit and um, the sense that for essentially like two, three years, they all went away. Um, And I think that, really kind of showed like just from a promoting side and like putting these events on how important those are. And Mm -hmm. then to the people that are attending these things, how important they were to your life essentially Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. you go from on the weekends, you can go out and see a show and you'll see your friends or you'll go even just go into a restaurant. Like all of that kind of changed and all of those things that we kind of took for granted forever of just like, this will always be here. It's not going anywhere all of a sudden was just nothing for a while. 
Um, and so when we were coming out of it um, to where we are now and talking about the fest for this year, it was um, like that people are, and we're seeing it, that people are hungry and people are ready to get, like they're ready to go back out. They're ready to go to shows again. They're ready to go to music festivals again. Um, and so that's why kind of, again, skipping those rungs, it seemed like people were ready for it after having a couple of years of doing essentially none of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we saw that when we tried a couple shows really early on out of the pandemic. I mean, we were still kind of past it um, and we were doing everything we could to keep everybody safe but still have events. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just saw numbers a little lower than what we expected. Um, and we had gotten to be pretty good at estimating about what kind of an audience we were going to draw for what show. Sure. Um, and we noticed that on those early shows that it, it wasn't quite there. Um, and we also noticed tickets were bought very late. Like, mm-hmm. I think people wanted to make sure, A, they didn't have COVID. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know, yeah. buy a ticket and mm-hmm. not be able to use it. Um, and then I think people were a little trepidatious about the the situation of being in a large crowd indoors mm-hmm. and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so um, now as we're seeing some of that kind of wane, um, like Nick said, I think you're seeing a lot of people that are hungry for it again and, and want to get back out and see things. I think especially, too, some of that younger generation that never really got that taste of it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Now this is their first time to get to go out and do that, and I think they're hungry for it. To either of you that feel like answering this, uh, what unique benefits and challenges do you think that Rochester as both a city and community present for large-scale music events, maybe compared to other towns? Well, to start, I think, uh, you know, I mean, hopefully we can change this, but it's kind of the first year of a multi-venue event like this. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure some of these other ones, Midwest and Big Turn and stuff, they probably started much like we are right now. Yeah, absolutely. Trying it out and just got to see how it's going to go. And, um, you know, hopefully eventually when we become more established, people just know about it. They mark it on their calendar every year, and that's kind of just the thing that they're going to do. But definitely early on here, it's about getting the word out. And I think Rochester does have a little bit of, um, you know, that, I don't want to say transient population, but uh, people that are coming mm-hmm, into town, mm-hmm. you know, doing the residency, and then they're gone again. I know, right. like, even after we came out of the pandemic and started uh, shooting out uh, email blasts about some of the events that were coming up, we mm-hmm. were seeing unsubscribes like crazy all of a sudden. Sure. All these people getting back saying, hey, sorry, I'd love to, you know, still be a part of all this, but... I'm in Dallas now, or I'm in Boston, and you're like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, all these people have moved away, it's been two, three years, Mm -hmm. so I think there's that turnover in Rochester, too, so, you know, getting into someone's, um, or getting someone's attention and then keeping it can be difficult. Yeah, absolutely. There's, uh, there's also the, uh, little bit of a challenge with Rochester sometimes of, um, and and this isn't saying that it's a bad thing, but there are so many opportunities for free entertainment in town. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always, like, you have huge events like Thursdays on First, Riverside, that are free and open to the public. Um, and those are, like, awesome community events. Like, everybody comes out. You see, like, all walks of life in Rochester come out for those. And then as soon as you have these people that love going to these music events as soon as there's a price tag on a ticket involved, that seems to really pull back on people mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's trying to also, in in the same sense of getting the word out about what a multi-venue music festival experience is like, there's also this kind of bit of learning that has to happen of if you want bigger, better shows to come through more regularly, 
those things can't always be free and there mm-hmm. is an amount of investment that you as a person who wants to go see shows has to kind of make in those people that are putting them on to then have then the people putting on the shows will have the confidence to know that they'll be able to sell tickets and they can kind of take more chances and take more risks with booking bigger bands For more sure. frequently. So that's another kind of hurdle that comes through, um, <clears throat> at least in, in what we've noticed with, with Rochester specifically. Fair enough. Um, what would you say are some big benchmarks that you think make a festival or show successful? Um, I think like the there there there's kind of two sides of it. There is the bottom line of the bottom line. Like you want to be able to throw events, and you need to have them not just lose money. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the biggest one, like on paper. Um, and then there's kind of the more um, there there's the side of it of the experience for people that are playing the festival, attending, that are working the festival. Um, back when the first year the festival happened, the reason it happened at the scale it did was mainly how can we go and build an event um, at a scale that can make sure that the people that are working are having a good time, well, Mm -hmm. even though they're working, and the people Mm -hmm. that are attending are having a great time at a show, and they have all the things that they need to make sure they have a good experience. Same with bands. How do you set them up? So not only they come in and they feel comfortable in a space, Mm -hmm. they have everything they need to perform, but then also the performance itself. Like they have an active audience that is into the show. So it's trying to find that kind of way to balance all aspects of of a show. Um, And sometimes one or the other gets kind of missed or overlooked at some points. Mm -hmm. I've played a lot of festivals and worked a lot of festivals, and so I know – what I love about playing them and I know what I don't love about playing them. And Mm -hmm. it's trying to keep all of those different kind of players in mind when it comes to the actual event itself. So when we were going through and making a bunch of plans for this year, it was like, all right, how are we going to make this awesome for the production team that's coming in and running all of these stages? What resources do we need to have for bands to make sure that they can come in and be ready to rip an awesome set. And then mm-hmm. what do we need to have available for the people that have paid for a ticket and are coming to attend this festival? What kind of amenities do we need to have available or more accessible for those people too so they're not lost looking for something that mm-hmm. they want or that they need? Um, it's trying to just make sure you cover all your bases at that point and for try sure. and and you're never going to make everybody happy, but try and make everybody happy that's coming <laughs> through to do this thing. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> well, what do you both find most rewarding about your work, both with My Town and with The Thaw? Um, I think the the rewarding part is um, once, once the show starts, um, not that there isn't, like, enjoyment in the build-up to it, but it's a lot of work to put on events like this. Um, and it all kind of pays off once that first note hits. I feel like, at least personally, that's where my head's at. Like once that first note hits and you have people that are enjoying the music, you have somebody up on stage who's just killing it, um, and everyone's kind of like getting into that groove of a show, and then you can kind of just like stand there at the back of the room and you can just like see it all happening in front of you. That's where it's like, oh, this is this is cool. This is something special. And so mm-hmm. that's what I, I'm looking forward to like, 5 p.m. on fest day all the stages are rolling and you can just walk down broadway and you can hear music coming from three different places at once 
And it's like, that's the part where you kind of get goosebumps down your spine a little bit. <laughs> it's always <laughs> like, like at, at other festivals that are set up the same way, you're ripping down the main drag and you just hear music everywhere. And you mm -hmm. see people milling about, going from stage to stage, seeing homies that you know. They're like going to grab dinner and then they're going to go catch another show. They're trying to plot their day out. It's all like, it's all very exciting in this kind of context because everything's just kind of buzzing around the area of the festival. So that's the part where I'm like, I'm hyped for that. I'm very excited for that part of it. <laughs> very nice. Um, as far as like the, the my town side of it, that's majorly my, that's, that's a huge creative outlet for me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of this is stuff I do at my day job, right. Working for a company that does marketing and design work. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, so developing a website and then doing marketing for an event, that's pretty familiar to what I do, but and not that I don't enjoy working on some client websites and stuff, but mm -hmm. to be able to do something that I'm personally passionate about, um, is very fulfilling to me, like getting to take something like music or even, you know. Uh, an event like Thaw where you're just you're bringing a whole bunch of people together around music um, and just so getting to do that um, really breaks up the monotony from some of the other day-to-day -day work. Are there any big hopes and dreams for the future of either the festival or as my town as a company? Uh, yeah I mean <laughs> <laughs> we definitely want to grow from this year you know to learn our lessons figure out what went well what what didn't you know, mm -hmm, what needs improvement, mm -hmm. stuff like that. I know um, we used to always call them our postmortems after our shows and stuff. We'd have these meetings where we'd sit down and, and talk about what went well and what could use some improvement. And I'm excited to do that with Thaw just because this is an event unlike any other we've done before right, from mm -hmm. a town standpoint. Um, and so, like, to kind of digest that and, and kind of assess where we're at and then see where we're going to go after that will be fun. Um and then as far as just my town in general, I think we've collectively kind of discussed we want to try and get back to what when we started. Mm -hmm. you know, that was our main thing was really trying to drive home the, the community aspect and, you know, the, getting people to be a member. But then what does that entail? You know, so I sure. think we're going to take a look at all that and revamp a lot of that stuff and then really lean into what got us our start to begin with. Because not that we lost our way or anything like that. It's just kind of one of those things where as shows were starting to go mm -hmm. well and things were taking off and then the pandemic hit, then it was just like, okay, now maybe it's a time to step back and reassess and yeah. figure out where we want to go. And, and then thoughts started kicking in and that's all of our attention went to that. So, for sure, for um, sure. So just getting back to that, that'll be a... A fun thing too after the fest is said and done so yeah sweet did you want to add to that or yeah. are you good um i think from a fest side of it um is i mean the goal of any event like this is to make it sustainable and make it so it can be like a continuing part of of in this case the rochester music scene and there's so much <clears throat> There's so much growth that has happened in the last like handful of years, even through the pandemic, like people got creative and still kept doing like virtual shows and social distant outdoor stuff. And you could tell people that are a part of this music scene really wanted to not lose the momentum that was building when the pandemic hit because the, mm -hmm. the landscape of things right before all that happened there was more people going to shows. There was more bands that were hyped to say that they were from Rochester that were playing out and playing around. And that was huge. Um, and so I think when the pandemic hit, it kind of, kind of made everything kind of do a little bit of a stutter step while mm -hmm. people tried to figure out how to keep going through that kind of event. Um, <clears throat> 
And so I think that's kind of the goal, I think, from the Fest side is just to kind of take all of that momentum that is that is there and is kind of getting ramped back up again and then have an event be a player in that and have it be something that not only can represent like what my town does for uh, and as a part of the Rochester music scene, but also it represents the Rochester music scene itself. A big part of the lineup this year is bands from Rochester. We have, I think Mm -hmm. a third of the lineup is all local. So we wanted to make sure we had a good mix of people from here, um, but also to have that out of town presence so we can get people to come from the cities or Winona or Lacrosse or something like that and have them come to Rochester and see what all has been happening here for the last few years. Because a, a lot of people seemingly just keep keep sleeping on it and they're missing out on some pretty crazy <laughs> stuff happening here. So having an event like this where it can kind of showcase what Rochester is capable of in the music scene is kind of a huge part of that. Absolutely. Well, last but not least, what can you tell our listeners about the thaw in general for this year and what to expect on Fest Day? Um, I mean, expect a good, it's a good time. You have six venues, 30 bands. It's one big party. So we've been rolling with this whole time. <laughs> um, and that's, that's what it's going to be. Um, do, uh, do, do your homework beforehand. Take a look at the schedule. Kind of plan your day out. Um, if you want to get the party started early, um, get into town on Friday night and we'll have a pre-party at thesis the day before. But otherwise, I mean, wear your walking shoes cause you'll be hoofing around from venue to venue. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, just, uh, be ready to come enjoy downtown. It's going to be, hopefully weather agrees with us and you can come kind of hang out and see a bunch of bands, you know, see a bunch of bands you don't know, see if you can find a new favorite and yeah, just live it up in Rochester for a few hours. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for being on with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much to Nick and Dustin for sharing their story. You can learn more about My Town, My Music, and the Rochester Thaw by clicking the link in our show notes. And thank you for tuning into the podcast today. We are so appreciative of your time spent listening and of your support of our work here at Collider. If you know an entrepreneur who would benefit from the conversation today, please share this podcast with them so that they can benefit from the experience of other business owners in the community. We launched Rochester Rising in 2016 to tell stories of entrepreneurship taking place within the city of Rochester, especially stories that otherwise would not have been told, and to take the time to understand each entrepreneur and what their experience has been like in this community. If you find value in this podcast, please consider donating and lending support to Collider's efforts to share the stories of Rochester entrepreneurs and inspire others on their journey. You can find more information about our tip jar and how to donate in our show notes. Thanks again for tuning into the Rochester Rising podcast.